When two people get married, nobody thinks they're going to cheat on their spouse. Nobody. And yet it happens. A lot. In fact, if we were to take this room, take everybody in here who has cheated, been cheated on, or one of whose parents cheated, that would probably cover the majority of us. That is a lot of heartache and devastation brought about by infidelity. How does this happen? How does this happen? I think it's because we have the wrong view of cheating. See, we think it just happens. We think that you're unhappy with your relationship, so you just go off and hook up with a friend or coworker. That's not actually how it happens. Here's what really happens. I want to introduce you to something that I call the path of adultery. And two comments. One is any of this can happen over text, chat, or in person. And also, this isn't limited to the opposite sex. Affairs can happen with a same-sex friend or coworker or stranger as well. So, here are 10 steps along this path. You enjoy common interests. You exchange playful banter or texts. You feel affirmed or appreciated. You confide in the other person. You dress up or groom to impress them. You anticipate time together. You invent excuses to call, text, or meet up. You hide the relationship from your spouse. You deceive your spouse with words or actions. And you engage sexually. See, the lesson here, adultery is not an event. It's a process. It's a path you walk down slowly. And I just want to say, if you are anywhere on that path today, God has brought you here to rescue you from yourself. So today our passage comes out of the book of Proverbs. Now Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And it focuses on the question, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Now, the main character in Proverbs 5 that we're going to look at today is translated as the adulterous woman. Now, the modern equivalent of that would probably be more like the other woman. Now, this story, this proverb, blames this other woman for the adultery. Now, just remember, this was written at a certain cultural time and place. And that means two things for us. One, in our time and place, all of this applies to the other man as well. And secondly, passages like this have been used to justify misogyny, subjugate women, and even demonize women. 
And I just want to stand here to speak against any man using God's word as a weapon against women. That is sin, plain and simple. So now that said, let's begin with verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. So the author here begins with a call to maintain discretion, to preserve knowledge. He is telling us to keep hold of wisdom in the face of temptation. Don't lose it. Because the minute you let go of temptation, excuse me, the minute you let go of wisdom, the temptation wins. So then he starts to paint this picture of the other woman or other man. For the lips of the adulterous woman or man drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know. This is not a pretty picture, but it's exactly what adultery is like. It starts out exciting, sweet as honey, smooth as oil. It starts out great, but it always ends in sorrow. It always ends in disaster. Cheating never has a happy ending. The path leads to death. Don't fool yourself otherwise. And this verse calls it out that cheating is thoughtless, aimless, and ignorant. He continues, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your your toil enrich the house of another. See, now we start to see a picture of the loss that comes along with adultery. You lose your honor, your reputation your trustworthiness, your comfort, your money. And that's just the beginning. If you follow the path of adultery, there is no other outcome. Loss is the only option. He continues, At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. Listen to the regret. At the end of this person's life, they are filled, they are haunted with regret 
You see, you will regret cheating for years, decades, maybe even your whole life. Yes, there is healing and restoration in Christ, but it won't erase the damage done. Then comes perhaps the most poignant statement. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. So that's the church, or in their case, the synagogue. See, what starts in private always ends in public. You will be found out eventually. Your cheating will come to light, and your world will come crashing down on you. Sin never stays secret. Sin never stays secret. See, then at this point, the author shifts. The author shifts to talk directly about marriage. And it contains my favorite metaphors out of this whole, this whole proverb, okay? It's wonderful. Now, a word, though. The following verses only apply to the context of marriage. If you're dating, even engaged, this does not apply to you. Let's begin. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Man, I could stop right there. Drink from your own well, married couples. Drink from your own well. You wouldn't be at a restaurant and reach across to another table and grab some stranger's water. But that's what adultery is. If you're married, God has given you a spouse. You belong to them. They belong to you. Drink from your own well. He continues. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Should your streams of water be in the public squares? No. If you are sharing your heart or your body with someone who is not your spouse, you're dumping your water all over the street instead of keeping it in your own well. Continues. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. If you're married, there is a part of you that is reserved for your spouse alone, and it should never be shared with another person. And now, my favorite metaphor of the entire chapter. I've been waiting all week to say this in church. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. There you go. There you go. May her breasts satisfy you always. Husbands, 
May your wife's body be the only one to bring you satisfaction. Wives, may your husband's body be the only one to bring you satisfaction. May you ever be intoxicated, captivated, infatuated by them alone. How do we sum all of this up? Here it is. When you take what is not yours, you end up losing what is. When you take what is not yours, you end up losing what is. And that's the real story behind adultery. Taking something that is not yours for your own enjoyment you end up losing what really is yours, what God has given you. Spouse, family, honor, reputation. When you take what is not yours, you end up losing what is. Wrap this up with three brief applications. First, for married couples, drink from your own well. Drink from your own well. Don't look to another for love, for affirmation, for intimacy, or sex. Avoid being alone with someone from the opposite sex. Never complain about your marriage to someone of the opposite sex. And if you find yourself anywhere along those 10 steps along the path of adultery, even step number one, tell someone. It doesn't have to be your, your spouse, but tell someone. Second, this passage points to one of the problems of porn and TV and movies with nudity and sex. You are drinking from a well that is not yours. You are letting somebody else's breasts, butt, or naked body satisfy you. Think about that. Think about that next time you want to turn on and binge Game of Thrones, Scandal, or practically anything else rated R or TVMA. You are drinking from somebody else's well. You are letting someone else's body satisfy you. And third, to my unmarried friends, your partner does not belong to you. Your partner does not belong to you. They are not your well. It doesn't matter how long you've dated. It doesn't matter if you're living together. It doesn't matter if you, if you believe your, your souls are joined. They are not yours. They belong to God alone right now. There might be a day when God gives them to you. 
But if you are not married, that day has not come. You are taking what is not yours. And you are losing something that is. So I close with a blessing. I always close service with a blessing, but here I've got a special blessing for you married couples. May you rejoice in the husband or wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by them alone. And may you never give what is theirs to someone else. Join me in prayer. God, I thank you for your power and your presence in our lives. That you have created marriage. You have, you have gifted husbands with their wife, wives with their husbands. But you also restore marriages. You also protect marriages. And so I pray that for every marriage represented directly and indirectly in this room, I pray for your hand of protection over them. That in marriages, we can understand your love for us. In marriages, we can understand what it looks like to love unconditionally. Bring us together in mutuality. All the husbands, all the wives. God, and protect us from the devastation that comes with cheating. God, that is not your desire for us. You desire good things, life abundant. Help us in all of our marriages. Receive that gift from you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.